Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it's Wednesday, June 23rd here in New York City. Hope everyone is doing well. It was a great NBA night last week. We are at the point of the playoffs where it is one game a night. Last night, Suns, Clippers, game two, down to the wire. A really, really exciting finish. We're going to get into that. The game, some of the discussion around the game and, and the playoffs before previewing tonight's Bucks Hawks game one in Milwaukee Eastern Conference Finals, which should be a really fun, exciting series between two great teams and uh, two superstars and Giannis and Trey Young. So just starting off with the Suns and the Clippers last night, this was a terrific back-and-forth basketball game. Both teams still without their best players. Kawhi still out with his knee injury, where it is still unclear if and when he will return. Chris Paul still in the league COVID protocols, as it has now been reported that he has been asymptomatic, which unclear about if that affects his return to the court in terms of timeline and stuff. He's still in the protocols with Game 3 being Thursday night. It's unclear when he'll be back. It seems like he should be able to return at some point in the series, but assume that he is day-to-day game-time decision going forward. But this was a great basketball game, and it perfectly summed up, in my opinion, exactly where the NBA is at this current moment of time, which is you have two really good teams, Great young players on the court, and Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, the future stars versus an established star, and Paul George, a championship coach in Ty Lue. Uh I don't want to say an upstart coach because Monty Williams has been in the NBA for a while, but a coach who's hitting all the the right buttons right now and is and is on the rise and having some real success with this Phoenix Suns team. A great crowd environment, a fan base in Phoenix that loves basketball. Two teams trying to get over the hump, trying to win their first championship. The Suns have been to the finals twice, both times unsuccessful. Uh, lastly, you know, 1993 with Charles Barkley and losing to the to the great Michael Jordan and, and those Chicago Bulls team. This is a series that checks a lot of boxes. And last night, the game was was really competitive, really really fun to watch. High-level basketball across the board. Coming into Game 2, Marcus Morris for the Clippers. He was questionable with a knee injury. He only played 24 minutes last night. Didn't shoot the ball well again. His status going forward is is, is going to be important for this Clippers team because they're just down bodies at the moment with, with no Kawhi Leonard. But this was a great basketball game. The Suns came out on top 104-103, and, and we're going to skip right to the end. If you haven't seen the highlight, I highly, highly recommend it. Jay Crowder taking the ball out of bounds, throws a beautiful pass to DeAndre Ayton coming off a back screen by Devin Booker, who Ayton catch and dunks it right home to take the lead and give the Suns a game two victory. Such a great executed play by the Suns, beautifully drawn up by Coach Williams, understanding the rule on out-of-bounds plays that there is no goaltending on defense or basket interference on offense. 
because it cannot be a shot attempt if the ball is coming from out of bounds on an inbounds play. So just brilliant design to say get it to the rim and literally like right over the rim. You only have 0.9 seconds to just tip it down and dunk and literally just doesn't take a lot of time just to tip it down or catch and dunk it down. The dunk by Eaton was incredible, but the pass and the angle in which Crowder had to throw from of the baseline down by the corner, just beautiful pass. He wouldn't be my first choice for the guys, if you just say of the of the top passers on Phoenix to to make that pass, but just beautifully, beautifully executed by Crowder. For a guy who struggled offensively, he didn't really get going 0 for 3 from 3. He made two free throws, but the guy only scored two points. The major contributor at that point of the game was was awesome to see. Aiton was the star, 24 points, 14 rebounds. He was fantastic. Cameron Payne, needed to mention him, 29 points, 12 for 24 from the field. Really picking up the offensive slack as Booker. As I said on uh, after game one, he's not going to have forty point triple doubles every game. He he had a below average performance by him, five for sixteen from the field. Did a great job getting to the free throw line and converting. But as great as Phoenix was, don't count out the Clippers. The Clippers down 0-2 in the first round, down 0-2 in the second round. Falling down 2-0 is not the best way to go about it in the playoffs. Uh it just means you're, you're bashing against the wall. But this Clippers team and Ty Lue and, and his history with, with Cleveland and everything seem to do better facing a lot of adversity, a lot of immediate adversity, winner go home games. This is something that this Clippers team has, they have risen to the occasion before. Don't rule them out, especially because everyone's talking about this, this last second play. That was just perfectly, perfectly executed, and and you can you know th- there can be some fair criticisms for the way that they guarded that play in terms of maybe a little more backside help for Zubac on the lob, but it wasn't bad strategy in their defense having Cousins on the court. Cousins is huge. You want to have a big guy on the ball so that it can't be. Cameron Payne, the point guard who who who's a good passer, throwing that pass. You want to try to make it as difficult as possible. Could Cousins have made it a little more difficult? Maybe, but putting some but putting size on the ball is something that if they didn't do, like if they put let's say Rondo on the ball or Batum on the ball, that's something that after the the pass if the pass is still successful, it's why didn't you put more size on the ball? And then also you want to have your a big guy be able to guard Aiton. So maybe Zubat should have been be anticipating the lob a little bit better. But I'm sure he was, I'm sure they were expecting a Devin Booker catch and shoot shot where if his man gets caught on the screen set by DeAndre Aiton, who is also large and sets and it's just a big guy, if he sets a screen on say Reggie Jackson, if, say it was some type of switch and Reggie Jackson gets caught on the screen and all of a sudden Booker looks like he's going to have an open catch and shoot and you can see the ball going to him. Last year in the playoffs, when it was Denver Lakers and Anthony Davis hit hit that great shot, Plumlee thought they were switching and they the Denver didn't execute it. Davis was able to catch, get a clean look off because Jokic had to guard the ball. 
And then the inbounder to, to contest, Davis knocks it down, changed the whole series. You know, they, they go up 2 nothing. I'm sure in their back of their head, they're, they're thinking, okay, this has to be a perfect, perfect pass to get it to Aiton for the tip-down dunk. Wasn't that poorly played. It was perfect execution by, by Phoenix. Perfect, perfect ac- execution. But not sure what the Clippers could have done much differently. Maybe have some more weak side help from the guy who is either in the corner on or on the wing, but just with the the timing of it. But overall, I thought that the Clippers can hold their heads high. You know, you know, overreactions happen in, in every single game, but they're going home. Yes, they're yes they are down 2-0, but it's a best of game. It's a best of seven series. The famous saying goes that a series doesn't start till someone wins a road game. You know, the Suns did what they were supposed to do. They defended home court up 2-0. Now it's the Clippers' turn to defend home court. They were able to do that against Utah. Will be really will be really tough this time without Kawhi, it it seems like, but you never know with him. He he may come back. You can't rule them out, and you especially can't rule out Ty Lue because He's still figuring out what's the best lineup to play, whether it's the small lineup that has worked so well against Dallas and against Utah, or whether it's Zubach. Zubach played 34 minutes, maybe going a little bit bigger, especially when Eaton is in the game because Eaton continue, is continuing to play really, really well for them. You know, Batum, after playing massive, massive minutes the last two rounds, he was only 16 minutes last, last night. Terrence Mann, only 19. Rondo, 17. You know, Coach Lou's going to use his entire roster. They're going to find some adjustments. They're going to find a lineup that works for them. And I'm excited to see what it is because from game to game, Coach Lou is one of the best adjustment guys in in the playoffs. We'll see with this Suns team. They're, they're playing really well right now. Maybe if Chris Paul comes back, it'll be difficult for him after a long layoff, you know, unsure how much conditioning he's been able to do or basketball stuff he's been able to do and just get back into the flow of things and fit in with the team, he may be great. He may be able to come back in and, hey, they, they're even better. But maybe it takes a game or two games to get him back in the flow and all of a sudden it's 2-2 and, and Kawhi's back by then. This series is far from over. There is a lot of basketball left to be played. And this series and this game especially – just describes the the modern NBA and this current moment in the NBA so, so perfectly because you have superstars on both teams, two superstars who are injured, one with an injury and one with in the COVID protocols, which perfectly encaptures this pandemic season where we have tons of super, tons of all-star and superstar injuries, guys in and out of protocols all season long, Burgeoning stars and like DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker are a part of the series. Two franchises trying to seek the finals for the first time. And this game is you have, if you're watching game, it's a great basketball game. But one of the problems with the current NBA and the way that it's in the way that the game actually happens is there are so many replay reviews. The last minute to minute and a half of basketball time so from about from when there was 90 seconds left on the clock to when the game ended 
took more than 30 minutes of real t- like lifetime. That's just too long. That is t- way, way, way too long. There's people suggesting that there should be time limits on replay reviews that, hey, it's 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 45 seconds and whether you could f- figure it out then or not, it should be decided by instead of going to Secaucus and having them set everything up in the replay center, have a dedicated replay review official who decides it, who is watching it and can just say, can just buzz down. No, we're not reviewing this. This was right. This was wrong. Yep, th- this was wrong. This should be going to the ball should be going the other way. Here are the five guys who are actually on on the court, which really shouldn't be that hard to figure out. Here's the actual time. You know, have someone figure out when the ball was out and just stare at that, and another guy stare at the clock so that they could get that figured out way quicker. It slows down the game to a point where the first 46 minutes are just completely different than the last two minutes of some of these playoff games. To the point where it's 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 too different. It it sometimes feel like, and it's I've been talking about this. I think I feel like you know almost a broken record for the last several months. Of coaches should just call more timeouts during the game, especially if they're down bodies or in these big moments, because you know, like, why do you need to save timeouts for the last two minutes? Maybe maybe helpful to have one just in your back pocket, but. Any close play, it feels like, if you just twirl your finger, they're going to go look at it and you'll get at least 30 seconds. You'll get at least a 30-second timeout, probably longer, because some of these replay reviews are longer than a full timeout. Why not just call more timeouts throughout the flow of the game? Because you shouldn't have to worry. Like like Coach Williams drew up the awesome end-of-game out-of-bounds play while they were reviewing something. He, he didn't call a timeout. That was not a true ATO where he called a timeout, assistant handed him the whiteboard, they set up the chairs, drew it up, guys hydrate, all that. That was a, hey, come over here really quickly while while they review this again and, and I get a free timeout. I don't get it. I think that it's it would be cool to see some more coaching strategy about it. Just say, hey, like if you're going to call the game this way and look at everything in, in the last two minutes, one, I'm just going to ask you to review everything. And two, I'm just going to get nine timeouts the, the, the last two minutes. We're, we're going to reach a point where someone's going to take a three-pointer and it's going to be kind of close. Not like as close as Durant's was in game seven, but like some guy's going to take a three and they're just going to stop playing and just twirl their fingers and saying, review that, re- review that. And it'll take 25, 30 seconds to see was his foot over the line or behind the line and the correct amount of time on the clock. They'll do that, and someone will have a free timeout. It's ridiculous, and it from the viewing perspective, it really affects the enjoyment of it because it feels like the last two minutes is when it matters the most anyway, but it takes so long, and it really drains the excitement out of it because it's, it's one thing to build dramatic tension and build up to a moment, and then it's another thing to have that moment stretch on way too long. And sometimes gearing up for a huge possession takes the drama out of it because it just takes so long to finally get to it. And and, and I really wonder how, how the players feel about it and, and whether they feel that, that the game gets too choppy and, and, and the flow is messed up. Because as a fan, as a viewer, it definitely does. 
And this whole postseason and, and this whole season, really starting in the bubble last year, one of everyone's favorite topics is ratings, NBA ratings, 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 ratings. Ratings are really hard to understand. So I'm not going to pretend here on this podcast that I truly understand the exact reasons why some games, you know, I know why some games are rated higher than others. They're game sevens versus a regular season game on a Tuesday night. But I'm not going to talk and try to act like I have a expert master understanding of the NBA ratings. This basic rating ideas that I know is in the summer, especially in August, ratings are down generally across the board. That's why if you have a TV show that pilots on like a Monday night in August, they don't think you're probably going to do well. So when the NBA with the bubble was forced to play a lot of games in August that were playoff games, it affected the ratings. It affected the, the calendar and you know playoffs going head-to-head with the NFL and baseball and all that stuff. The pandemic, the election. Okay, ratings last year were down. Will you lose a lot of money with COVID, no fans? All that stuff, I get it. Ratings are a huge topic of conversation, but this whole idea that the NBA wants the big market teams to do well and that like somehow the NBA is upset that the last four teams are Phoenix, the Clippers, Milwaukee, and Atlanta, I don't really get would if the commissioner's office and the league, if they could choose their final four, would they prefer that the Lakers are in it, that the Knicks are in it, the Bulls, the Nets, the Warriors, probably, if if they could choose. But they also know that dramatic games, no matter who's involved, and getting the right matchups also, as we're seeing so far, is leading to to great ratings and that superstars and the players drive a lot of ratings as well. Like the Bucks and the Hawks have great basketball players. I think it's going to be a really competitive series. If that goes six or seven, I think the ratings will be good. But also, the ratings are going to be the ratings no matter what it is. And it doesn't really make a lot of sense like talking about the game last night after like the great game and saying like, you know, trashing the the viewpoint that the NBA didn't want that matchup. Well, of course, the, if, you know, if the NBA could have preferred a matchup, they would have preferred LA, LA or LA Golden State. That makes a lot of sense. But the idea that LA, that, that, that somehow the league is unhappy that it's Clippers Suns I don't really get you have superstars on both teams, big markets. You know, a lot of people live in both of those cities. A team having a chance to win its first championship is a great storyline. It's a great positive storyline after the dominance of super teams and dynasties with the Warriors that, hey, anyone can win. The idea that the little guy can win that there's real parity in the NBA. That's why we love the NFL so much in baseball. At the start of the season, you actually don't know who's going to win the World Series or the Super Bowl. And this year, at the start of the playoffs, it was like, yeah, we don't know who's going to win the championship. We think we know who the favorites are, but we don't know who's going to win the championship. And even in the last four, 
We still don't know who's going to win the championship. That's why March Madness is like the greatest thing ever. The NBA is probably happy that people are talking and getting excited about, hey, these are great games. We're getting, we may have a first-time champion. Three of the four teams have never won a championship. Milwaukee hasn't won a championship in like 40-some-odd years, 50 years. It'd be a great story. Giannis winning a championship, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Phoenix winning one, fantastic. Atlanta, great. Clippers, great. Real competition in L.A. Because then, you know, that could be another year or two of hyping up L.A., L.A. For as long as LeBron's there. I, The NBA is, is, I think that they're just happy that they have a postseason. With some fans in the stands, you know, it doesn't, I, I don't know if they're at full capacity It's in, in these arenas, but it's better than empty arenas in the bubble. It's really interesting to hear, Pete, you know, the, the whole ratings discussion is just really, really interesting because that's going to be a topic conversation tonight for Bucks Hawks on TNT is no matter how good or how bad the game is, there's going to be talk about the ratings and, oh, the cities of Milwaukee and Atlanta. Atlanta's like a huge city. Atlanta has one of the biggest airports in the whole country. Atlanta's huge. Atlanta's a huge, huge part of the Southeast. Everyone remember in November during the election when all those votes kept coming in in the Atlanta area and just it was like we had like six days of everyone talking about, wait, how many people live in Atlanta? This is a really, you know, burgeoning area. A lot of new businesses. A lot of people are moving to the Atlanta area. The people who live in Atlanta seem to like it. Atlanta's a nice place. Milwaukee. Milwaukee is great. Is it the same type of nightlife as Miami? No. That doesn't mean Milwaukee doesn't have its own benefits. Its own, you know, really nice things about it. People going on first take and saying that these four cities stink. You know, the Clippers don't play. They're they're not like the L.A. Angels of Anaheim or the New York Giants who play in East Rutherford. In New Jersey, they play at the Staples Center. They play in L.A. LA, You know, everyone loves L.A. when it's the Lakers, but why is L.A. so bad when it's the Clippers? Phoenix, I guess you could say it's hot now, but people love Phoenix. People love Arizona. Don't really get saying all this. these four cities stink or like, oh, if, if Atlanta wins tonight, I don't think they'll win. I think Milwaukee will win, but if Atlanta wins, talk about, oh, Atlanta, Phoenix, Finals. This is terrible for the NBA. This is terrible for ratings. Really? Already, already, we're gonna just declare that. I don't really get it. Would it be as good if it was LeBron against Durant? Probably not. But that doesn't mean that having Chris Paul or a new champion is that bad. Speaking of the game tonight, briefly, because the rule on this podcast is. Don't overreact to game once. A limited Bogdan Bogdanovich, who is has a knee injury, I believe, for Atlanta. He's their second best player. That's going to be tough. If he's limited, he's such a big part of their offense. He's going to take a shot guarding Chris Middleton, take a shot guarding Drew Holiday, Giannis. Him being limited could be a really, really big factor in this series. A couple keys to look for early in game one is the Milwaukee defense. How are they guarding Trey Young? 
I think that they're going to start Drew Holiday on. Drew Holiday, one of the best perimeter defenders at the point guard position. I think he's going to get the Drew Holiday treatment, but Atlanta runs so many ball screens, so many high pick and rolls for Trey Young to get downhill, attack the big guy, get into the paint, floaters, lobs, kickouts. Let's see how is Brooke Lopez guarding those screens because they're going to put Brooke Lopez into a lot of pick and roll action. Is he in drop coverage? Are they going to try and trap and play out of it on, on the backside? Are they going to switch? I wouldn't recommend switching, but they may try that. Are they going to go away from Lopez and have Giannis at the five way more so, so that they can switch those actions with Giannis? I think that will be really, really interesting. And then on the flip side, offensively, can Milwaukee get more out of Drew Holiday this series early? Shot the ball very well, but very late in Game 7 after a really, really poor shooting performance early. He came alive late in that game. Hopefully he can carry that that momentum, that confidence over into Game 1 of this series because the more they can get from Holiday in this series, the better because... Having a legit third guy will be huge. Atlanta, let's see who guards Giannis. I think John Collins will get the first shot at him. I think it'll be interesting. Giannis has a clear size advantage over Collins, height, and uh, he has a height advantage, so we'll see if, if he can take a huge advantage of that in, in the low post, and let's see how many jump shots he takes. You know, you, they may just have to live with one or two threes a game, but if he's in that game six mentality the way he had against Brooklyn, which is I'm not taking a three, these guys can't stop me, I'm just going right to the rim, this could be a long series for Atlanta. So I'm excited to see how that series goes. That's game one tonight, 8.30 Eastern TNT. That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. You also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back hopefully tomorrow. Take care and make it a great day.